And welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking News, recorded on the 7th of July and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Phil, and our other reader today, in the sad absence of Pippa and Jane, is Catherine. Hello. The team this week comprises John Plush as recording engineer, John and Carol Hartle on copying and admin. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local scene, followed by the headline stories. Then we'll look at a selection of news stories, some sport, and finish up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and of course the birthday file, although spoiler alert, there aren't any this week. If you don't have a record of your if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We do like to hear from you, so if you do have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone, and that's 01905 767 766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So let's make a start this week with the telephone numbers, which Catherine is going to read out. Right. Um, the first number is the same one that Phil's just given you for us here at Wilds Lane. 01905767766. This is not manned daily and you need to be patient if a reply is required. Police non emergency 101. NHS direct 111. Out of hours medical assistance 0300 1233211 between 6 and 8 pm. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 Worcester Hub, 01905 765 765. Worcester County Council here to help, 01905 768053, option 3. Community Risk Team for Fire Safety, 0800-032-1155. The Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800-980-3331. Sense Adventures, Walking for the Visually Impaired. You need to phone D. Jones on 01684 Eight nine one two nine seven, or alternatively, o seven nine two o one four four six one four, and there is also a website for that. It's www dot senseadventures all one word dot co dot uk. Samaritans, one one six one two three, Worcester Live. 01905 More than theatres 01684 
89227. Thanks, Catherine. Now, let's move on to a summary of what's on locally. And we've got quite a lot to get through this week, which is rather nice, isn't it? A new exhibition is opening on Saturday, the 9th of July. That's this coming Saturday at the museum on Fourgate Street, the one above the old library. It's going on through till September the 17th with opening times of 10.30 to 4.30. It's celebrating the fantasy world brought to life by Tolkien with a collection of over 200 rare objects and artworks inspired by the stories of Middle-earth. There will also be craft activities, a mystical quest family trail, dressing up and all sorts of other activities. Perfect for the entertaining of children during the summer holidays. Over at the Malvern Theatres, we have a series of one-night tribute concerts ranging from The Monkeys on Friday the 15th, Neil Diamond on Saturday the 16th, Queen Rhapsody on the 22nd, and The Bee Gees on Saturday the 23rd. They're all tribute bands, starting time 7.45, but prices vary, so if any, take your fancy. Call the box office for more details on 01684 892 Upton Blues Festival is taking place on Saturday the 16th of July between 1.30 and 5 in, as you would expect, Upton. It's free entry, but you'll have to pay for parking in Upton. For more details, it's https colon double forward slash Upton hyphen blue hyphen festival dot co dot uk. Finally, just a little reminder that the Three Choirs Festival takes place from 23rd to the 30th of July in God's Chosen City, which is, of course, Hereford. And I've got a phone number here, 01452 768928 or try org. Now, there's also a note from Pippa here about the play that's going to take place later on this month. She says... As I'm sure you're only too aware, most theatre plays are produced principally for a sighted audience, leaving those with a visual impairment to rely on an audio description service or the help of a companion to pick up visual information central to the plot. But here's a theatrical event that takes all of that into account. A.R. Gurney's Pulitzer Prize-nominated play Love Letters was not actually written exclusively for a visually impaired audience, but the play's reliance purely on the spoken word with no visual elements makes it an ideal theatre show for people who have problems with sight. This love story with a difference concerns two people who meet at primary school and then keep in contact throughout their lives via an almost continuous exchange of letters, some sad, some funny, both prosaic and poetic. As the play unfolds, the two characters, Melissa and Andy, read aloud their letters to each other, allowing us to follow the development of their complex and intriguing relationship with all the humour and sadness that that brings. John Plush has been finding out more. The play, Love Letters, was written in 1988 by the playwright Albert Ramsdell Gurney in New York. It was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in 1990 and has just two characters whose story is revealed in their own correspondence. When it first opened, Gurney himself played the character Andy, while Holland Taylor took the part of Melissa. Since then, the play has been performed countless times, Broadway, London's West End, but the performances of Love Letters by the well-established duo Two's Company have a different business model. They give performances of the play only to help charities. In Two's Company's productions, 
Pauline Beale plays Melissa. Pauline, how did you begin performing Love Letters? I had seen the play and uh, always wanted to do it myself. And uh, I asked John to do it with me, who said yes. We decided that we would do it for charity. One or two people got to know about it and said, oh, could you come and do it for us? And that's how it all began. John Horton plays the character Andy. John, how long have you been doing it now? Uh, I think we've been doing it about five years now. And it's always for charity? Yes, always, yes. And where do you perform it? We perform it uh, in church halls, in churches, um, anywhere where there's a space. We can take it all in one uh, car, and uh, so we travel light, we like to say. And so, big question, how much money do you reckon you've raised for charity since you've been doing this? Well, we reckon, we, we've discussed this, it's difficult because we different different amounts, different places, but we reckon probably about £5,000 plus. Best probably was about 1400 in in one, one place, um, and that was for the Alzheimer's Society. And we look forward to uh, making a lot more as time goes on. Pauline, tell us about the play. Um, the principle of the thing is that uh, Melissa and Andy started school together and they have been friends ever since. Andy's job took him away to America. Melissa had rather a hard life and she suddenly decided that she would like to contact Andy and wrote to him. He wrote back and things developed from there. Yeah, well, really, it was a correspondence going way, way back to, to when they were very, very young. And although they lost contact at various points in their lives, they, they quickly picked up their friendship and, uh, and uh, the love for each other they realised they had. I think that's, uh, that's the crux of it. Pauline Beale and John Horton, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. This production for The Talking Newspaper will take place at 7pm on Saturday the 23rd of July at St Peter's Church Hall in Worcester. Tickets are available from Worcester Tourist Information Centre at the Guild Hall at the price of £8, and that includes refreshments. All proceeds from the evening go to the Worcester Talking newspaper, so why not show your support for us, bring your family along for a very special night out. That sounds good, doesn't it? Right, we'll now get Catherine to read the week's headlines. All right, thank you, Phil. On Friday the 1st of July, the headline was Flash Flood, Burst Pipe Sends Dirty Water Rushing Into Homes. On Saturday the 2nd of July, it was Mucking In, Workmen Join Clean-Up After Burst Pipe Causes Flooding. Monday 4th of July, Ode to a Party, City Takes to the Streets for the Carnival's Return. Tuesday the 5th of July, Cinema paying for film craze. Customers demanding refunds after rowdy Minions shows. Wednesday the 6th of July. Dog's owner spared jail. Pet killed Chihuahua when off lead. And Thursday the 7th of July. Walker quits. City MP among early resignations as day of turmoil piles pressure on Prime Minister. Right, let's start with the burst pipe floods road, shall we? Flash flood was the headline. Dirty, smelly water flooded into homes and gardens within minutes after a water pipe burst near a main road. Flood waters covered Tolodyne Road as neighbours called the situation a nightmare as dirty water seeped into their property in Tolodyne Road. The water came from a burst water pipe on the old golf course in Fairway off Tolodyne Road and swept up dirt as it gushed down the hill. 
people could be seen putting up barriers and sandbags to prevent the water from gushing into homes and businesses, including a petrol station and a pub. A deep body of water moved down Toledine Road, though vehicles were still able to make their way along that road. It remained open throughout. Neighbours and onlookers were out in their wellies trying to navigate their way around the water. Sharki Ahmed, aged 50, said he popped out for 10 minutes for a job and came back to find his home being flooded. The homeowner, who's lived there for 17 years, said, I'm devastated, it's just ridiculous. The water is coming up to the damp line. A large body of water had seeped into Mr Ahmed's house and travelled to the back. Neighbours said they were devastated to find dirty water seeping into their homes. Alf Rico, 67, has been living in Toledine for 30 years and said, the water has flooded my kitchen. We've had to block the water coming into our home and it looks a right mess. His wife, Jenny, 65, said it's an utter nightmare living here. The water was coming into the garden and now it's left a load of slush and mud out there. Tony Matthews, who lives right next door to where the pipe had burst, said we're fed up. We've got water in our garage, a non-stop disturbance of our quality of life. It shouldn't have happened. It's an absolute disgrace. Pauline Jones, 67, lives next to Mrs Rico and says they've lived in Toledine for 36 and a half years after moving from Swansea. She added, this has been a nightmare. My garden is flooded. And that story was continued the following day. So there may be a little bit of repetition in this story. The headline was Mucking In and Workers Join the Big Clean-Up. Workmen rushed to protect homes from flooding and mucked in to clean up after accidentally smashing a water main. Contractors put up sandbags after the torrent poured down the fairway from the burst pipe into Toledine Road on Thursday afternoon. Seven Trent swiftly repaired the damage caused by a building contractor, fixing the broken pipe overnight. No customers suffered a loss of water supply, despite the deluge. Ryan Ward, 29, who works for Tricus Construction, could be seen helping one resident sweep up the mess after the water left a thick residual ooze of dark sludge in his garage. Mr Ward said, We went through a main. We just want to help out. Yesterday we were putting sandbags around houses and lifting all the manhole covers. Tony Matthews, who's lived in the fairway for the last 15 years, was busy clearing out his garage after water from the burst pipe rushed into his property. He said, The builders have been helping. It's very slight in the garage. We're just mopping up. They've said they're going to help us and I can't really ask for anything else. It's superficial damage, really. We feel very lucky. However, Al Brico, also of the fairway, said when the main burst, water rushed in under a fence into his garden, pouring up from under the gravel board. Dust from ongoing work has also caused him concern as he suffers from heart failure. I was shattered yesterday, he said. It was just a torrent running down here. His wife, Jenny, said, It's impacting our lives now, and not only our lives. I can't even take my dog into the garden because of all the mud out there. I looked out of my kitchen window, and there was a river running through my garden. It's caused us, not only us, but most of the residents, an enormous amount of stress. Work has been going on now for 18 months. I can't even put my washing out for the amount of dust, she said. 
A Seven Trent spokesperson said on Friday, Yesterday evening our engineers attended Tolodyne Road in Worcester following third-party damage to a water main. The main was repaired overnight and we're liaising directly with any residents who've been impacted. Platform Housing, which is responsible for a housing development linked to the work, and Tricas were approached for comment but did not reply before the paper went to press. Thanks. Monday, July the 4th headline is a bit more upbeat and it is off to a party. Carnival makes fabulous return. Hundreds of people lined the streets of Worcester as the carnival made a triumphant return to the city. The parade started at Pitchcroft and made its way through the city where thousands of residents cheered, waved and took photos as the floats completed their circuit back at Croft Road. After the parade, celebrations continued at Pitchcroft with a grand stage putting on a variety of performances throughout the day. Numerous children's activities, trampolines, face painting and refreshment. Julie Thomas attended the parade and carnival celebrations with her family. She said, I was quite tearful seeing all the kids performing. It was really amazing to watch. Ruth Barnes and Kerry Milne brought their children along too to join in the carnival fun. Ruth said, it's been a great day so far. We caught a little bit of the carnival, but now we can't get our kids off the bouncy castles. Kerry added, It's so cheap as well they can spend unlimited time on the bouncy castles with the children's wristbands, which are only £3 or two for £5. The face painting is free too. Following a two-year hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the theme for this year's carnival was Celebration. Organisers aimed to celebrate Worcester as a city and the people who live in it. Melanie Eastwood, who was crowned as the 2022 Carnival Queen, said it's great to see so many people turn up, especially with the weather being touch and go. I was on the Cathedral Bells float and I had 13 girls to look after and they were all absolute angels. It's been a fantastic day. Live music and dancing took place on the community stage at Pitchcroft throughout the day and into the evening, celebrating local talent from Worcester. A spokesman for Worcester Carnival said... What a day that was. Big thanks to all who took part. We couldn't do it without you. Thanks also to our Queen and Princesses. The Carnival Village opened at 11am and performances took place all the way through till 7.30. On Tuesday, uh, it was the rather unusual headline story. It's, the headline was Refund Costs for Minions. A Minions meme of watching the new movie in Suits and recording it for social media has cost one city cinema more than £1,000 in refunds. Hordes of teenagers have been watching the new film Minions, The Rise of Gru, dressed in suits and recording themselves on social media. But the behaviour that accompanies the trend, cheering, shouting and mimicking the Minion characters, has caused issues for other filmgoers and left one Worcester cinema counting the cost. Annoyed film fans not on, in on the joke have demanded refunds at the View Cinema in Worcester. The trend has forced the cinema in Friar Street to bring in tough new rules, with anyone wearing a suit being warned not to misbehave before the film begins. A manager at the View Cinema, Worcester, said, The trend cost me £1,300 yesterday. I had to refund all of the tickets in that theatre because of kids shouting and mimicking the minions while the film was playing. It was a group of about eight kids. 
Now, when we see any kids coming in to see the film dressed up, we give them a warning. We tell them that if there is one complaint, whatever that may be, they will be kicked out of the cinema. It's something being implemented across a lot of cinemas. I have colleagues in Cheltenham who I know have had problems as well. While the Odeon Cinema in Fourgate Street has not seen the same problems, the manager is concerned that the trend is causing disruption. He said, we've not had any disturbances here or seen anyone dressing up. The issue with the trend is children running around and treating the film as an opera, shouting and clapping. We had one small disturbance, but we asked the kids to be quiet, and they were so, fortunately. It's not been an issue for us. Generally, the social media trend sees large groups of teenagers dressed identically in suits coming to cinemas to watch the new film. One person posted their version on Twitter and said, I love being Gen X. We have so much power. Another Twitter user said, I'm living for all the teenagers and young adults on TikTok going to see Minions Rise of Gru in suits, formal attire or dressed like Minions. It's so funny for no reason. Videos of the trend are also being posted on TikTok. Look forward to that. Now, Wednesday's newspaper, Dog Owner Spared Jail. A woman whose dog killed a chihuahua and injured its owner has narrowly avoided jail. Dawn Houseman previously admitted being the owner in charge of a dog dangerously out of control and causing injury and returned to Worcester Crown Court to hear her fate. At times, the 52-year-old had her head in her hands as she listened to proceedings, but made no interruptions as she had done in previous hearings of the case. Melanie Winterflood, prosecuting, explained Houseman had left her home in Back Lane, South Worcester, but did not have her American bull terrier named Bailey on a lead, which she was required to do. The prosecutor explained the victim, Katie Harris, was outside in the road by a grass area with her dog. And when the dogs came together, the bull terrier had initially been passive before biting the chihuahua on its belly. Miss Harris screams, Miss Houseman tried to separate Bailey from the dog that was in distress, the prosecutor said. Miss Harris put herself in the way of the dogs. Unfortunately, she was bitten. The magistrate saw a picture of the injured finger of the victim's hand that was scarred. Miss Harris having had treatment at Worcester Royal Hospital after the incident on April 9th last year. Miss Winterflood explained the dog was rushed to a city vet, but as they were not able to deal with the extensive injuries, the Chihuahua was transferred to Birmingham Vets. It died there as a result of its injuries, Miss Winterflood said. In a personal victim statement, Miss Harris said she had suffered anxiety attacks after the incident and had been unable to work. The prosecutor said Houseman had been convicted of a similar offence in May 2011 when one of her dogs had attacked someone. She added the RSPCA had also investigated Houseman over concerns of poor treatment to animals she had been keeping in 2019 and 2021. Barry Newton, defending, said Houseman had known that the rescue dog had to be kept outside, but had made the mistake of thinking Miss Harris, her friend for a long time, was in her flat with her dog. It's a one-off, tragic, unfortunate incident, Mr Newton said. Miss Houseman very much regrets what happened that day. He added Houseman had kept dogs as her companion, and it was not a dangerous dog as she was parading around. Harry Turner, chairman of the magistrates, had decided to give Houseman an 18-week jail sentence suspended for a year. She was ordered to pay total compensation of £700, costs of £185 
and victim surcharge of £128. He added they also disqualified her from owning a dog for five years. So news is moving so fast on the national front. Uh, Forgive me if some of this is a little bit out of date, but it is about the local MP and therefore material for the local newspaper. Um, On Wednesday, Worcester MP Robin Walker resigned from his government role as Prime Minister Boris Johnson faced a cabinet coup as the Worcester News went to press. Mr Walker stepped down as Minister of State for School Standards in Government, a position he held for the last 10 months. It was one of then 36 resignations, as senior Tories told the Prime Minister enough was enough. Mr Walker told the Worcester News he thought long and hard about the decision after previously supporting the embattled Prime Minister in a vote of confidence last month. I felt that it was right, but I'm going to continue campaigning in my constituency and Worcester, but not in Parliament, he said. His resignation letter said the Conservatives need to find the right balance between efficiency and compassion. He said that the public perception of the party has to change and he wanted to know the party has the same priorities as the public. Mr Walker added that his priorities going forward are fairer funding for schools and cutting waiting times at hospitals. Writing to Mr Walker, Mr Johnson thanked the Worcester MP for his efforts reforming education and wishing him the best for the future. Mr Johnson wrote... As Minister of State for School Standards, you've shown a deep passion for improving outcomes in schools so children can reach their full potential. During your tenure, we have made enormous progress in supporting pupils to recover learning lost during the pandemic. In his letter, Mr Johnson also thanked Mr Walker for his work in other government departments, including the Northern Ireland office. He wrote, Thank you for your contribution and I wish you all the best as you continue to serve the people of Worcester from the black benches. Lynn Denham, who stood as a Labour general election candidate in Worcester in 2019, said, Worcester Labour welcomes Mr Walker's resignation from government, although it comes long after the worst of the damage has been done. Trust in our politics has been rocked by Mr Johnson's obvious daily lies, which Mr Walker has defended for years. During multiple crises on the cost of living, the NHS, housing and social care, the government in which Mr Walker served has been focused almost entirely on defending the career of Mr Johnson. The cost of this has been borne by the people of Worcester and the British people more generally. We also note that while Mr Walker was penning his long overdue resignation letter, Worcester Labour were hard at work at City Council, successfully pushing through new protections for renters and support on the cost of living. Thank you, Catherine. Now that concludes the headline stories for this last week. We're now going to continue with a selection of other stories. And I'm going to start with one that's headed Not One for Emotion. And it comes from last Friday's July the 1st, that is, newspaper. A farmer accused of murdering and dumping his prim and proper wife in a septic tank has told a jury, I'm not a person to show emotion. The jury had already heard evidence that David Venables, 89, was, quote, calm after his wife Brenda's 1982 disappearance. The remains of Mrs Venables, 48, were found in the underground cesspit at the former marital home, Quaking House Farm in Kemsey, Worcestershire, in 2019. 
Venables said he searched for his spouse after he awoke to find her missing on May the 4th, reporting the disappearance to the police later on that afternoon. His barrister, Timothy Hannum, QC, asked about claims from police officers who first arrived at the farmhouse that Venables appeared calm and emotionless about his wife's mystery disappearance. Venables replied, Well, I think I've never been one to show a lot of emotion, ever. I was very concerned about it and very worried, but I'm not a person to show emotion. Earlier, the trial heard evidence read from the notes of a consultant psychiatrist whom Mrs Venables had been seeing in early 1982 for depression. The physician report recorded Venables was a typical farmer displaying little or no affection to his wife but showering praise on the family dog. Mr Hannum also asked Venables about accounts from some witnesses that life went on after Mrs Venables vanished, with the landowner replying that that was right, quote, up to a point. Venables said, I had got a job to do, we just had to get on with what we were doing. It was a complete mystery to us where she'd gone. Venables also told jurors he never mentioned a septic tank to police search teams as it, quote, never entered his mind but he also claimed to have twice seen police searching the tank. Venables said that he then replaced the access cover with a paving slab for safety, as there was a public footpath within a few feet of that tank. Venables of Elgar Drive, Kemsey, denies murdering his wife between May 2nd and May 5th, 1982. The trial continues. Work has begun on a former car boot site where more than 90 homes are to be built. Over the next two years, 92 homes will be built at Broomhall Way, just outside Worcester city centre. The Mayor of Worcester, Adrian Gregson, joined representatives from Rooftop Housing and Vistry Partnerships to break ground on the site, formerly home to the Ketch car boot sale. The councillor hopes this project will go some way to solving the country's housing crisis. He said, We're pleased to see this part of the South Worcestershire Development Plan, the Urban Extension, start to be developed. And we're very pleased to provide housing for local people because that's what it's all about. We have a high housing crisis in this country and this is an opportunity to do something about it. Before getting the green light from Worcester City Council's planning committee last September, the designs had been described as wretched by Councillor Andy Roberts. The development at the junction of the A4440 Broomhall Way and the A38 Bath Road will involve a mix of one, two and three bedroom homes. Each property will include sustainable features such as solar panels and carbon-neutral ground-sourced heat pumps to meet rooftop standards, while the site will also have a sustainable drainage system. There will also be green spaces, a wildlife pond, allotments, a communal orchard and play area on the site. David Hannan, Executive Director at Rooftop, said, We're delighted that we've started work on these 92 sustainable homes for local people. These homes will give 92 families in Worcestershire the stable and modern home that they need. Rooftop is here to help local families. Darren Beale, Managing Director at Vistry Partnerships, added, It was great to meet today and break ground as our first major milestone of the development. As one of the country's leading regeneration specialists, we recognise the need to support our partners to build homes across all tenures. We look forward to building these homes for residents to have a happy and joyful place to move to. The project is expected to be completed by summer 2024. 
Right, and a story from Saturday. Slap review at care home. A Facebook video was inadvertently uploaded which appeared to show a startled female staff member lashing out at care home resident after being touched inappropriately. The incident happened at an employee of the month party at St Stephen's Care Home, St Stephen's Terrace, off Droitwich Road. A video recording which captured the incident unfolding in the background was shared via Facebook on Thursday. The footage was deleted from the home's Facebook page following criticism about the staff member's reaction. Managers at the home said the worker had been subjected to inappropriate contact and made no direct contact with the resident, hitting his walking aid instead. The matter has since been referred to Health and Social Care Watchdog, the Care Quality Commission and Adolf Safeguarding at Worcestershire County Council. A spokesman for the home said, At St Stephen's, the safety and well-being of residents is always our first priority and we are transparent in the care and support we deliver. There was an unfortunate incident during a celebration between staff and residents celebrating the presentation of the Employee of the Month. During this celebration, a resident with limited mental capacity unfortunately made inappropriate contact with a member of staff. The member of staff, who was startled, instantly reacted. In turning her hand, made contact with a walking aid located behind her, but did not make contact with the resident. The resident was not harmed or distressed in any way by this incident. As a responsible care provider, we immediately informed and referred the incident to the regulatory authorities. The adult safeguarding team at Worcester Council, who in reviewing the incident, including the video footage, have concluded that the resident was not at risk or subject to any harm. A CQC spokesman said, We've been made aware of the incident at St Stephen's home. We are looking at this information to see if any regulatory response will be required. While we do not investigate individual incidents, we use all information received to inform our continued monitoring and inspection of services. A spokesperson for the council said, We do not comment on specific details. A review into this incident is ongoing and a safeguarding response is made to any concern reported regarding abuse or neglect within a care home setting. And this story is entitled Fraudsters Pose as Charity. Money has been stolen from businesses by fraudsters posing as a Worcester charity. The RSPCA Worcester and Mid Worcestershire branch said a social media account has been posing as the organiser of the charity's vegan fair event in order to get money from vendors looking to sell their products. A spokesperson for the organisation based in Kempsey said, We're heartbroken that someone would try to do such a thing, using an event that we, a small charity, are working so hard to organise in order to raise desperately needed funds in an attempt to take money out of the pockets of small, independent traders in this way. Please be advised that we will never ask for payment of pitch fees via PayPal. All traders will be invoiced and emails will come from the admin at rspcaworcester.org.uk email address. We are so sorry for any alarm this may cause to anyone who's booked or is thinking of booking with us and please rest assured that this fake account and scam attempt has been reported to the relevant authorities. The charity spokesperson said it hoped people will still book a stall to take part in the event. They said, we hope this doesn't deter anyone from booking a pitch with us. So far we've had a lot of interest from some very varied and unique stalls so we're really excited. 
We plan to share a list of confirmed vendors in the coming days and we hope that more will join the final tally. We face so many challenges day to day in our work and this really is one more problem that we didn't need. But we're determined not to let the scammers win and with the help of our wonderful supporters we plan to make our vegan fair a huge success. The charity said it only contacts traders via their Facebook and Instagram accounts and the email address for all other correspondence about this event is clarewood at rspca-worcester.org.uk. The charity is planning to hold the vegan fair on Sunday, August the 21st. Right, and now a column uh, from yesterday, Wednesday's paper from the Dean of Worcester, Peter Atkinson, talking about the Batten Relay, all will become clear. Worcester will welcome the Commonwealth Games' Baton on July 22nd, and part of the route is through the cathedral. To anyone who thinks that is not a seemly activity for a place of worship, let me remind them of the hymn which goes, Run the straight race through God's good grace. We are delighted that, having come across the globe, Worcester is the last leg of the Baton's journey before arriving in Birmingham. I'm not much of a sportsman myself, apart from a little croquet and bowls, but I do understand the power of sport to unify and reconcile people of different backgrounds, politics, languages and countries. When played properly and in the right spirit, its power for good is enormous, so we should all welcome big international games. Some people, however, would question the association with the Commonwealth. The present Commonwealth of Nations evolved from the British Commonwealth, which in turn was the community of independent countries which were once part of the British Empire. There is an indisputable connection to the days when Britain was a colonial power, and that, for many people, is a real difficulty about the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth today, however, is a free association of nations. No country need belong. It serves no purpose, whatever, except to be a free association of nations committed to being peaceable with one another. And if many aspects of Britain's colonial history trouble us, as they should, then the presence of Britain's former colonies within the present-day Commonwealth ought to be a good way of keeping that troublesome history firmly before our eyes. So I shall cheer the Commonwealth Games baton when it is carried through the cathedral, and I'm glad the Games are happening. And I'm glad, too, that this is what the countries of the Commonwealth do. Better for all of us than waging war. Right. This story comes with a very appealing picture of ten people wearing very bright dresses. A group of men who came under fire for wearing women's clothing while fundraising are supporting a new cause. Mark Tomlinson and his friends have been raising money for St Richard's Hospice for the last 18 years by taking part in a Leo Sayer all Dea pub crawl and wearing women's clothing from the charity shop. The charity decided to not promote the cause last year due to the clothing being potentially offensive to the LGBTQ plus community. This year, they will return but are raising funds for a new charity, the Nathan Tompkins Trust. Mr Tomlinson said, We had been doing this for years as a group, as the charity was extremely close to our hearts, but it all of a sudden became an issue last year. It was never about the clothing for us, we just wanted to do something good for a good cause and look a bit outrageous as we do. We've selected a new charity for our 19th year, which is equally as important to us and are looking forward to raising money for another great cause. The Nathan Tompkins Trust supports mental health awareness in young people across Worcestershire and the three counties. 
The group will be continuing the pub crawl event on Friday, August the 5th, alongside a party at the Swan Hotel, which is open to anyone. Nathan died by suicide in 2016, aged 22, and the charity was set up by his friends and family to raise money in Nathan's name for local groups and charities. Mr Tomlinson said Nathan was a colleague of ours from the rugby club and was a fantastic person. Every year the charity holds an event called Nath Rocks, which is a black tie ball that raises vital funds. We decided to call our event Nath Frocks, as we will still be there in our frocks on the day. The charity does amazing work. Mental health does not discriminate and can affect any person of any background. We're very proud to be supporting this cause. Anyone can turn up to the event and you don't have to wear women's clothing. We recommend heading to a charity shop and getting anything silly to join in the fun. Okay, Thursday's newspaper. Call for rent protection. A councillor is leading a call to bring in more support to help prevent the city's renters from being forced to live in damp and dirty homes. Labour councillor Lynn Denham wants to see more protection brought in for Worcester's renters, bringing in systems that demand improvements from landlords not providing enough heat in their homes and allowing tenants to report problems confidentially. Councillor Denham will use Tuesday's full council meeting at the Guildhall to call for the City Council to commit to providing more support for renters who are being forced to live in shabby homes and are faced with the threat of unfair eviction. The leader of the City Council's Labour Group said she was inspired to make the call after meeting campaigners from the organisation Generation Rent at the local government association conference in Harrogate last month, adding that she wants to make sure that nobody in Worcester lives in a home that is damp, in a poor state of repair, overcrowded or unaffordable. She said too often in the housing market renters feel like they lack power. This doesn't have to be the case. A supportive local council can provide the knowledge and support that renters need, helping them ensure the relationship between landlord and tenant is fair on both parties. Clearly not all landlords conduct business in a poor way, but those that do need to be helped to held to account. Now, this motion will help provide renters with the support they need. Everyone deserves a home which is safe and secure, and Worcester Labour intend to make this a reality for everyone in the city. Earlier this month, the government revealed new measures in the fairer private rented sector white paper, which would prevent landlords from evicting tenants without a reason, as well as introduce proposals forcing landlords to improve the quality of damp, dirty and unfit houses. A multi-million pound bid to modernise Worcester Racecourse has come under fire, with critics saying the council should not be profiting from horse racing and gambling. Green City Councillors Louis Stephen and Karen Lewing spoke out against a proposed £20 million bid for government levelling up money to pay for a new grandstand and bigger conference facilities at Worcester's Pitchcroft Racecourse, saying it was unethical to cash in on the two pursuits. Councillor Louis Stephen, leader of Worcester City Council's Greens, said he was not enthusiastic about the plans to improve Worcester Racecourse. I think there will be some people who query why we want to be investing in something that is supporting gambling and potentially have issues with protecting animal rights, he told the Policy and Resources Committee. The bid, which also contains plans to install a new running track at Nunnery Wood Sports Centre 
and proposals to transform the former listed Engine Works building in Shrub Hill into offices and creative spaces, was still given the seal of approval by the Council's Policy and Resources Committee at a meeting in the Guildhall on Monday, July the 4th. Councillor Karen Lewing added, My real issue is the racecourse project, I'm afraid. It is not the conference facilities, fantastic, but what I struggle with is, is, is investing in something that some people think is an unethical investment. The problem is, if we're getting profit from gambling, people spending money on alcohol and horse racing, which some people have a real issue with, as a council, I have a bit of an issue with that. And I'm hoping that if we make a profit, our profit is coming from the conference facility and sports arena, take the profit from the unethical side of the business. Unless we can do that, I'm afraid I can't support this. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of the City Council, said he disagreed that horse racing was unethical and said the council already made money from selling alcohol in venues and at events and from handing out gambling licences. He said, I'm satisfied that the proposal, or the one that is at our own conference facility, will benefit the people of Worcester and will bring in more money and develop our economy in many important ways. The next story we have is headlined, Child Pervert is Jailed. A 37-year-old man who chatted sexually with what he believed was a 14-year-old girl is finally behind bars. Matthew Sherwood asked a girl he thought was a teenager whether she would have sex with him and in another message said age is just a number. He admitted attempting to engage in sexual communication with a child between January 31st, 2020 and February the 8th of the same year. Attempting to cause or incite a girl aged 13 to 15 to engage in sexual activity and making indecent photos. It was the eighth hearing of the case which has suffered delays, including when the defendant's mother fell in the public gallery. David Jackson, prosecuting, said Sherwood of Mandalay Drive, Norton, Worcester, was caught by paedophile hunting group No More Secrets, who had used the profile of a fictional 14-year-old girl named Summer. Mr Jackson read out messages Sherwood had sent that included calling her beautiful, asking whether she would have sex with him, and in one writing, as we said, that age is just a number. Mr Jackson said the conversation ended when he said, I hope you will enjoy me. Mr Jackson said that in the first police interview, Sherwood denied being guilty, claiming he thought it was an adult acting out of fantasy as a 14-year-old girl. Sarah Brady, defending Sherwood, said he was a man of previous good character with no previous convictions and had suffered as his six-year marriage ended after being arrested. Judge Martin Jackson said in the initial police interviews Sherwood had not brought up mental health issues and there appeared to be no link with his offending. Judge Jackson jailed Sherwood for a total of 19 months and placed him under a 10-year sexual harm prevention order prohibiting contact with children. Popular landlords of a family pub in Worcester have announced their departure. John Dean and Will Bradley, who run the Alma Tavern in Droitwich Road, have announced they will be leaving following a three-year stint in charge. Health issues and the loss of several family members brought about the decision. Announcing their departure via the pub's Facebook page, Mr Bradley said, Throughout the past three years, we've worked tirelessly to ensure that our vision for the Alma Tavern was what we set out to create, a vibrant community-focused local, which sought to bring the community together. 
We're sure you would agree that this has overwhelmingly been achieved due to our fantastic local community and the wonderful people that have bought into our vision. He continued, The downside to all of this is the impact that operating such a successful business has had on both of our health. Both John and I have, over the recent months, had a few health issues, and I have sadly lost three family members. We've soldiered on, as you, our customers, have deserved that. Suddenly, the impact of working 14-plus hours a day, seven days a week, along with ongoing health issues, has made us make some difficult decisions. The most difficult decision being that John and I have tendered our notice to our operators, Star Pubs and Bars. The pair arrived at the pub on Droitwich Road in June 2019, with the pub reopening later that year following a 17-month closure and refurbishment amounting to £260,000. Mr Bradley has confirmed that new operators will be recruited to take over the running of the pub, with himself and Mr Dean remaining in charge until the process is complete. He added, We simply cannot thank everyone that continues to support us enough for the many wonderful times we've shared together over the past three years. The many laughs we've shared and the friends we've made make everything so worthwhile. We will continue to open as normal and will of course keep you all updated over the coming weeks with any progress that's made in bringing new operators in. We look forward to still welcoming you all till the day we leave, which will be emotional. I've got a couple of stories next which um, give us some dates to add to our What's On calendar. We'll, We'll take them in the order in which they're about to occur. Popular Summer Fair is returning is the first one. People will be enjoying all the fun of the fair when a popular summer event returns this Saturday, July the 9th. Families could enjoy stalls, refreshments and entertainment when the well-loved St George's Summer Fair returns. Hosted by St George's CE Church in Barbourne, the fair has been postponed for two years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. A spokesman for the event said, We as a church have been particularly cautious about restarting events and with the uncertainty last year we couldn't commit to holding it but we're really glad to be hosting it again. I can't speak for everybody but everyone I know is looking forward to it. It's always been a lovely community event which people enjoy and yes it's going to be great to be back in the square next Saturday for everyone to enjoy. Tinged with sadness for the people that we've lost since we were here last in this difficult time but we're determined to make it a lovely day for everyone. St George's Square will be closed to traffic on the day to accommodate the fair. There'll be a variety of stalls such as raffle, tombola books and homemade crafts. There will also be refreshments available such as pulled pork, pulled jackfruit rolls. On earth is a pulled jackfruit roll? I wonder. Local strawberries and cream, barbourn cider, pims, tea and cake. A spokesman for the event added... For entertainment, we're delighted to have the Avonbank Brass joining us for three performances, as well as folk music from Five for Silver throughout the afternoon. We'll have face painting and games for children in our kids' zone, and of course the traditional fairground roundabout. This is an event for all of the community, with funds going towards the church and the good causes it supports. We welcome everyone to join us for fun in the square on Saturday between 12 and 4. Free entry for all. Now, the following day, a free concert is taking place in a city park. Worcester Concert Brass will be paying from playing rather from 2 till 4 p.m. on Sunday. That's this coming Sunday in Gellervelt Park. There's no booking required and families are invited to bring a picnic and relax for an afternoon of musical entertainment. 
The concert forms part of a Bands in the Park 2022, a series of shows taking place in parks around Worcestershire this summer. Gellervelt Park in the Barbourne area of Worcester was built in honour of those who lost their lives in the First World War. Right. <clears throat> Good weekend for Barbourne, anyway. Right. A cafe owner who attacked a staff at a neighbouring city centre shop has been told to do unpaid work and pay compensation to the victims. Greg Kitson and Julie Bennett, owners of Hop Market Flowers, were left blooded after they were attacked in their shop by neighbouring business owner Rebaz Tahir. Tahir, who owns Black and White Cafe in the Foregate, put the pair through a trial but was finally brought to justice when he was sentenced at Worcester Magistrates Court. Melanie Winterflood, prosecuting, explained Mr Kitson and Miss Bennett had noticed staff from Black and White was smoking near the flower shop's open windows, so a request was made for them to stop on October the 2nd last year. The prosecutor said initially there had been no altercation, but later that day Tahir had burst through the door shouting at the pair. Mr Tahir assaulted Miss Bennett, punched her to the back of her head and left cheek, thus causing bruising, Miss Winterflood said. He then grabbed Mr Kitson, punched him a number of times to the face. Magistrates saw pictures of the injuries the pair suffered, including cuts to the cheek. The prosecutor added, Tahir had previous cautions for battery, but no previous convictions, prior to conviction for two charges of assault by beating at the trial. Rebaz Tahir still did not accept what happened, despite being found guilty at trial. Mr Saqib, defending the 44-year-old, said his client still did not accept what happened on the day. He accepts he'd been convicted, he accepts the punishment he's going to get and will abide by any direction of the court, the solicitor said. After a short deliberation, magistrates announced they were giving Tahir of Helford Close Worcester a one-year community order. Harry Turner, chairman of the magistrates' bench, said... We believe these offences are so serious that a community order would be the appropriate sentence. The order requires Tahir to complete 200 hours of unpaid work. The chairman, warning failure to complete the hours, could see Tahir brought back to court and resentenced with the possibility of being jailed. Tahir was given a restraining order to not enter hot market flowers for the next year, the chairman saying if he did, there would be serious consequences. He was ordered to pay £150 compensation to both victims, costs of £775 and a victim surcharge of £95. And now a story about the railway <coughs> bid to host a new headquarters for Great British Railways. The city has been unsuccessful in its bid to become the new home of Britain's railways. Worcester has been left off a short list of towns and cities by the Department of Transport to find a new Great British Railways headquarters. Great British Railways will be a new public body that will oversee the country's railways, ticket prices and timetables. Birmingham, Crewe, Derby, Doncaster, Newcastle, Wapontine and York have made the government's short list, with a successful town or city set to be decided through a public vote. The Department of Transport said the results of the vote would play a crucial role, but a final decision will be made by Transport Secretary Grant Shapps later this year. A total of 42 towns and cities had bid to host the base after the competition to find a home for the headquarters was launched in October. 
Mr Shapps announced plans for Great British Railways in May 2021, saying the new body would replace an overcomplicated and fragmented system. Applications were measured against six key criteria, which were alignment to levelling up objectives, connected and easy to get to, opportunities for GBR, railway heritage and links to the network, value for money and public support. The bid in Worcester had been put forward by Worcestershire County Council with the support of Worcester City Council, Worcestershire Local Enterprise Partnership, City MP Robin Walker and the county's five other MPs. The disappointing news comes just a day after councillors at Worcester City Council backed a £20 million bid for government levelling up money, which includes plans to redevelop the former engine works building in Shrub Hill Road. In May, councillors also backed a £10 million business case, which would see former ageing NHS offices in Isaac Maddock House in Shrub Hill Road become a new business hub. The redevelopment plan for the neighbouring canal site site also includes new housing and a walking and cycling route from Shrub Hill to St Martin's Quarter. Work is also finally set to start on a huge £150 million transformation of the nearby Shrub Hill industrial estate after years of delays. Uh, There have been no arrests after travellers camped at an illegal site in Beverly Plains. Police were called to Gwillem's farm shop after travellers threatened to move their caravans onto the shop's car park when employees refused to supply them with water. A spokesperson from West Mercia Police said officers attended Gwillem's farm shop on Friday, June 24th, just after 10am, following a report of a dispute. No one was arrested, but officers provided the farm shop with safeguarding advice and urged them to call us if there are any further issues. Residents in the area worked together to clean up after the travellers were removed by enforcement officers on Saturday, June the 25th, despite being under the impression that the responsibility fell to Bellway Home Construction Company. A spokesperson from Bellway said enforcement action commenced at Cherry Orchards on Saturday morning, the 26th of June 2022, at 9am. Notices were issued to eight caravans. At 12 noon, the enforcement officers called to notify the agent that the last vehicle had left the site. Contractors were instructed to attend the site to clean up, but when they arrived on the Monday morning, the residents had already tidied up, so the contractor just had to dispose of the refuse bags that had been collected by residents. Outrage over plan for students' flats is one of the stories from Thursday's newspaper. Plans for a block of student flats to be built in St John's have sparked fury among people living nearby. Neighbours have said the proposed plans for 54 flats being built on Hennick Road on a church hall will bring extra noise, pollution and cars. Charlotte Walker, who lives in the road, said, I feel passionate and strongly about the development and the impact it will have on the community. Some people are thinking it's good for the local economy, but maybe they don't have a property that would be directly facing it. I used to be a student. I have nothing against students, but I'm thinking about the extra noise, pollution and cars. The plans have restricted parking and people will have cars and want to park them somewhere. It's just really sad. I'm sat looking at where it would be now. It would restrict lovely views of the cathedral, the trees, St Clement's Church. We would lose the space that we have. I've spoken to a lot of neighbours and no one wants it. We don't want it. We don't need it. 
Linda Wilkes of Nelson Road added, I'm really against student accommodation being built next to elderly people's houses. To build 54 rooms smack bang in the middle of elderly people's housing is ridiculous. Firstly, the noise will be horrendous, parking will be a nightmare, and there's no room in St John's for this. However, Albert Ballinger from Hawkwood Crescent believes the development to be positive for the community. He said, I've read today a lot of the complaints from local residents regarding this, saying that student accommodation attracts antisocial behaviour and noise. I've never experienced this, living next to private student housing, let alone a university-managed building. The university building these flats would have the opposite effect to what the objects say. There'll be objectors, I think, to what the objectors say. There will be an accountability, CCTV, and the knowledge of all the residents. The area will be safer and better for it. Worcester City Council has invited residents to view the plans at the Guild Hall on Tuesday, July 12th at 11am. The long-awaited opening of Worcester's newest restaurant is coming this week. Smoked and Loaded in St John's officially opens its doors on Thursday. That's today. And owner Mark Cookson said the team from the restaurant could not be more excited to welcome in customers. He said, we're really excited to be opening Smoked and Loaded this week, giving people the chance to buy great smoked and barbecue food. The menu consists of traditional favourites such as 18-hour smoked beef brisket, seasoned in Smoked and Loaded's own spices for flavour-packed all-round smokiness. Other favourites include slow-smoked pork belly and racks of baby back ribs and barbecue chicken leg wings. Mr Cookson added, At Smoked and Loaded, heat and meat is at the heart of our passion for modern barbecue. He claimed, with our specially imported smoker from the US, we can create the tastiest finger-licking smoked meats this side of the pond. Before cooking, we massage our meat with our own secret blend of herbs and spices to give it the unique flavour only found at Smoked and Loaded. Also, for a great barbecue, you're going to need wood. We prefer hickory and cherry to give it a touch of sweetness. In addition to barbecue, there are also American classics like southern fried buttermilk chicken and handmade burgers, smoking the meats for up to 48 hours at a time, with vegetarian options also included on the menu. The restaurant is opening in what was Spice Cuisine St John's, and signs went up in the restaurant window in Bromyard Terrace advertising for new jobs. The new business comes as a boost to St John's with residents facing the closure of the co-op supermarket. Gladman Retirement Living, under Adlington Retirement Living, plans to transform the supermarket building into a retirement village. The company wants to use the site as the basis for a 24-bed retirement home, with Councillor Udall pushing for some retail element to be retained in the future. Another new business came to St John's last month when Magbility, a disability equipment provider, moved into what was Lloyd's Bank. High Hopes' first LGBTQ plus cafe opens. The owners of Worcester's first LGBTQ plus cafe hope it will become a hub for the city's queer community. Sugar Daddy's Cafe has opened in the former Concord stationery shop in Trinity Passage in the city centre. Owners Andre Oldfield and Sam Robertshaw Krieger had planned to open at the beginning of May, but were hit by a number of delays, including having to get Western Power to reconnect the shop to the electricity grid at a cost of £2,000. 
This place was a wreck, Mr Oldfield admitted. The floor was all mismatched and we had to take down walls. An accessibility ramp is still being fitted and other finishing touches are being made to the cafe, but it is now open from Tuesday to Sunday, 8am to 5pm, and can be hired out in the evening. As a small queer business, we know we'll be relying on word of mouth, said Mr Oldfield. We chose this location because it's central and easy to find if you're looking for us, but we don't have to rely on foot traffic. I'm from London, where there is a very large gay scene, and when I first moved to Worcester, I could only find one gay bar in the whole county, the flag. Mr Oldfield founded Worcestershire Pride alongside Dr Daniel Somerville, a lecturer at the University of Worcester, and Amanda Hickling, the former owner of Café Bliss, but says he's always wanted a daytime queer venue for the city. There are so many queer people in Worcester, as we saw at the last Pride Parade in 2019, he said. We want this to be a a place where they can come and be as openly queer, trans, non-binary as they want. Mr Robert Shaw Krieger said, There was nothing like this when I was growing up in Kidderminster. The first queer venue I went to was a nightclub in Birmingham when I was 18. It was dark, loud, full of drunk people and was not my thing. This is a place where people can go and explore who they are and meet people like them. It's very hard to have a community if you don't have a physical place to be. An evening of magic, mystery and memory-making was enjoyed by participants in the first Enchanted Riverside Walk in Worcester. Supporters and volunteers took part in the circular walk organised by the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust. The afternoon began with a welcome party at Worcestershire County Cricket Club where guests enjoyed a wide array of street food, music from DJ Craig Brown, a live warm-up thanks to Lisa Bradbury from All About You, Kidderminster, with entertainment from Code Red Entertainment who wowed guests with their amazing circus skills including a stilt walker, acrobat and juggler. The main event, a four-kilometre circular scenic route running alongside the picturesque River Severn and Diglas Waterside was enjoyed by all, particularly the magical treats along the way from fairies and princesses hiding amongst giant toadstools in an enchanted garden thanks to the doorstep princesses. Everyone was delighted by Worcester Rock Choir who performed both uplifting and poignant songs against the backdrop of the Diglas Bridge. The finale took place by the bridge, where Code Red Entertainment put on a fireworks display. Coralie Hudson, GKCCT fundraiser, said, We had such a fabulous day, and it was wonderful to welcome our guests, many of whom were the families we support. So many of the guests embraced the enchanted theme, with fabulous fairies and elves in attendance. Hermione Granger paid us a visit, as did a fantastic fawn and a cat with three tails. The effort supporters made really did add to the magic of the evening. A little bit of magic gives everyone a lift, and our day brought so many smiles to our guests. Coralie added, With so much positive feedback, we're delighted to announce that we'll be hosting the event again next year, on Saturday, June the 17th. Save the date. We look forward to sharing more news very soon. Among those taking part on Saturday, June the 25th, were many staff with their families from Painters Law LLP Wire Forest, who sponsored the evening. The charity has thanked all those who supported the event, 
including a team of marshals, sponsors of charity T-shirts, Nickel & Co, estate agents, SB Print for the Fab selfie frames, and so on and so forth. Long list of thanks to people. The Trust funds research into rare and aggressive childhood cancers, educating families and clinicians about the signs and symptoms of childhood cancer. It also provides financial, practical and emotional support to local families through their family support service at a time when they really need help and support. Right, and this one from Friday last. New gates are officially opened. The mayor dropped by to officially open the gates of one's, one of Worcester's best hidden gems. Councillor Adrian Gregson was on hand to unveil the new gates in the walled garden in Rose Terrace, Fort Royal, Worcester this week. Owners of the garden, Will and Julia Scott, have been opening their gates to visitors as part of the National Garden Scheme for the past 23 years. Addressing the guests and visitors on Wednesday, Mr Scott said, Julia and I have been living here for the past 27 years and have enjoyed reawakening this important historic garden, which was abandoned and overgrown. The kitchen garden to Rose Hill House, built in 1813, was the first enclosed, was, sorry, was first enclosed around 1827 to 39. It's a typical Victorian kitchen garden designed to grow fruit and vegetables, which it does very well. The gardening is not done by me, but Julia, who has a wonderful collection of herbs and numerous compost heaps. We are helped in the garden by Lucy, our gardener, Alan, Simon and James. The most recent part of the restoration, he said, has been the extension, the gates and the brick paving. The nasturtium gates were made by the Barrett family, formerly of Hanbury, but now in Reader. If you look carefully, you will see three little birds, to quote Bob Marley, don't worry about a thing, because every little thing's going to be all right. Sounds better with a West Indian accent, I expect. The walled garden was once part of a farm connected to Rose House, the big Georgian property next door. There was once an astronomical observatory in the garden, the remains of which were unearthed by the Scots, and the couple had built upon the original plan using topiary and new trees as focal points. Mm. Mm. All right. A lunchtime organ recital is being held at a restored church in Worcester, city centre. The recital will take place at St Swithin's Church, St Swithin's Street, Worcester, on Friday, July the 15th. The first event to take place there since 2017. The recital, which marks St Swithin's Day, will take place at 1.10pm. It will be given by Andrew McRae, curator organist St Swithin's, with music by John James, John Keeble, Mozart, John Stanley, Elgar and Thomas Tomkins. Those who want to attend are asked to bring their lunch and relax as they listen to the 1795 Gray Nicholson organ. The event is free with a retiring collection. Following the completion of the res restoration work by the Church's Conservation Trust, this will be the first event we've been able to hold in St Swithin's since 2017. And just to show that we just don't throw these things together, that organ was largely uh, organised by Will Scott, whose garden we just visited. Right. County looks to double refugees. The county is set to welcome more than a 1,000 refugees from Ukraine, but is planning to receive more than double that. The latest figures show that 1,035 people fleeing the war in Ukraine will be welcomed to 430 homes across Worcestershire. 
Worcestershire County Council said more than 2,400 people had expressed an interest in hosting Ukrainian families in their homes and preparations are being made with those numbers in mind. Of the Ukrainians set to be homed in Worcestershire, almost three quarters of them will settle in the south of the county, including 156 in Worcester. As many as 337 are expected to be homed across the Witchhaven district, which includes Evesham and Pershaw, and 273 people will be housed in the Malvern Hills district. According to the latest figures, the number of Ukrainian refugees settling in Worcester increased slightly from 149 in May, with the number of host homes in the city rising by just one. The number of refugees being welcomed in Malvern Hills and Witchhaven also increased. The number of host properties increased in Witchhaven from 115 to 136 during the month. A report which will be discussed by the County Council's Children and Families Overview and Scrutiny Panel said 56 children from Ukraine had so far been accepted into primary and secondary schools across Worcester. The government said it would be providing £3,000 a year for Ukrainian children aged between two and four to attend nursery, with £6,580 provided for each child aged between five and 11 in primary school and £8,750 for Ukrainian children and young people aged between 11 and 18. We're going to move from those general stories over to sport now. Obviously, it's going to be dominated by cricket to a certain degree, but we've got a number of other sports for you as well. Now, we're going to start with Catherine. Right. Worcester Warriors co-owner Colin Goldring has been banned from the legal profession without regulator's permission after a multi-million pound car deal for a client fell through. Goldring, who's 38, co-owns Warriors with business partner Jason Whittingham, as well as football league club Morecambe, but was a trainee solicitor for a law firm back between 2016 and 2018 when the incident occurred. Goldring acted as an intermediary between who was thought to have been a member of a foreign royal family and a party selling cars and is reported to have taken £8 million from the unnamed Royal to supply three high-value motor cars. The client did not get his cars, and as a result, Goldring was reported to the Solicitor's Disciplinary Tribunal, along with his boss, Raja Shahzad Khan, and was made to pay £13,000 in costs, with Mr Khan being made to pay £20,000. A warrior's statement read, All regulatory bodies expressed to Goldring that they were satisfied he was fit and proper to own and be director of a sports club. Goldring added, The legal profession is rightly held to a high standard, and it's regrettable that failings were found at the firm I was working for as a trainee, which impacted some work I did for a client. The outcome delivered by the SRA acknowledges the lack of appropriate supervision provided to me as a trainee solicitor. It cleared me of any allegations of dishonesty or lack of integrity and did not impose a fine or ban. The agreed outcome that I would not work for a law firm again without the SRA's prior consent is fair and does not impact my current position. The outcome was agreed on the basis I had acted with honesty and integrity. I hold these values in the highest regard and I'm glad my name was cleared on both. I thank Worcester Warriors, partners and sponsors for their continued confidence in me. Thanks, Catherine. A series of uh, cricket stories now. This one from Friday's newspaper is headed A Major Blow. 
Worcestershire all-rounder Barnard ends 15-year stay at New Road to join Warwickshire. Worcestershire all-rounder Ed Barnard has said he will be forever grateful for his 15 years with the county after turning down the option of signing a new contract to join rivals Warwickshire from next summer. Barnard, 26, was offered a new deal with the pairs but has instead signed a three-year deal with neighbours and rivals Warwickshire. I have been very fortunate to have had the opportunity to represent this terrific club and develop into the cricketer I am today, he said. I will always cherish the friendships and special memories made on and off the cricket pitch. Another product of the Youth Academy, Barnard has been a regular member of the first team for seven years, making over 200 appearances and scoring more than 4,000 runs, taking more than 300 wickets across all formats. He made his Worcestershire debut in 2015 and was part of the club's success in winning the County Championship Division 2 title in 2017 and the Vitality Blast title in 2018. It's obviously disappointing for our club, but we wish Ed well for the future, said head coach Alex Gidman. He's made significant progress in the last few years at Worcestershire and has become an integral part of our team in all formats. Ed wants to finish the season very well with us and we look forward to enjoying our last few months with him. Chairman Paul Pridgen, who first worked with Barnard as a 12-year-old, I think that was when Barnard was a 12-year-old, at Shrewsbury School, added, We are very disappointed that Ed has chosen to go and play his cricket somewhere else. I've worked with Ed for a long time and seen him develop as a cricketer. As a club, through our academy, we work hard to help local players get the best out of their ability and are extremely proud of our record in producing first-class cricketers. Rumours earlier this month first surfaced about Warwick's interest in Barnard, as well as T20 captain Moeen Ali. It remains to be seen if the current England international will remain at New Road, but his contract is up at the end of this season. Hollywell Homes has announced its partnership with Worcester City Women Football Club. The estate agency based in Copenhagen Street, Worcester, said women's football and the Worcester community are two things that are close to its heart. So when the opportunity arose to partner with, support and work alongside the team at Worcester City Women Football Club, it was too good an opportunity to turn down. Much like the new management team at the club, Hollywell Homes has been training for just over 12 months. Having now secured a partnership with Worcester City Women, both parties agree it's a testament to how both businesses have grown and are excited about their alliance. Adam Pask, founder of Hollywell Homes, said partnering with Worcester City Women is another really exciting milestone for Hollywell Homes and we're so pleased to be working side by side with the club to support them on their ambitious journey. Football can be used as a force for good and for us the recent growth in women's football represents a huge opportunity to engage with and inspire the Worcester community, something we're committed to supporting. Worcester City women play their home matches at Clanes Lane, Worcester. Both Hollywell Homes and the club are very excited for the new season after the first team made it to the Worcestershire County Cup final and the development team were crowned league champions last season. For the 22-23 season, both both club teams will play in the West Midlands Women's Regional League with the first team competing in the Premier Division, Tier 5, and the development squad in Division 1, Tier 6. 
Nicole Allison, executive director of the club, said 21-22 was a season of growth for the club on and off the pitch and we're in a great position to progress even further in 22-23. Hollywell Home's passion to play their part in the development of our club and women's football as a whole came across instantly and so we're extremely excited to announce this partnership. The Hollywell Homes logo will appear across both our team's home and away shirts, which is great for brand awareness. But this partnership is about more than awareness. It's about delivering value to women's and girls' football in the Worcester community. Okay, green shoots. Overseas star finding reasons to be cheerful. Colin Munro says there are plenty of green shoots of optimism to be taken from Worcestershire Rapids Vitality Blast campaign, providing they learn from the experiences of 2022. The New Zealand star who finished as the Rapids' leading run scorer points to the young quartet, Mitchell Stanley, Jack Haynes, Josh Baker and Cashy Valley as reasons to look forward with belief and hope for the future. Munro has also played a key part off the field in passing on his vast experience to some members of the squad, and he hopes he has forged strong enough relationships to continue doing that now that the end of his third spell at New Road has come to an end. He said, As long as we keep learning and use this year as a learning curve for next year and the future, I think this group will come out the right side in a couple of years' time. It's a game of small margins, and T20 cricket is literally a game of inches. We didn't have that one batter to go on in each game and carry us through the campaign, which is disappointing. We as players have to take full responsibility. It's the players who are going out on the field and doing the job. Three years ago, he said, I was playing for Islamabad United in the Pakistan Super League, and we had a tough season, won only two or three games and finished second from bottom. Then, in the following year, we won eight on the bounce and got to the playoffs, and there was a big improvement. He added, are there green shoots? Definitely. There's young Mitchell Stanley coming through. If we can keep him on the park, he looks like he has got a good future. He bowls with good pace. I would like to have seen a bit more of young Jack Haynes. He is a great player, so hopefully he will be back on the park soon and keep banging those scores out. Who knows what the future holds for him? He is a class act. And I think he is really one to watch for the future. The last sports story that we have is similarly cricket, a bit sadder. This one for Worcestershire fans, I feel. Goodbye, Moeen. 16 years on from arriving in Worcestershire, Moeen Alley is to return home to Birmingham. Worcestershire cricket legend Moeen Alley has decided to leave the club and join rivals Warwickshire. The club did all they could to keep the all-rounder, but despite an attractive deal being put on the table, Moeen has opted for a return home. The all-rounder joined the pairs in September 2006, went on to play nearly 350 games across all formats, scoring 13,000 runs, taking 300 wickets and winning three trophies in his time at the club. A remarkable uh, performance. He made his last appearance in Worcestershire's final Vitality Blast fixture against against, uh, Knots Outlaws on 3rd of July at New Road. 35-year-old Moeen was a regular for Worcestershire across all formats until he made his England debut and became centrally contracted. England commitments and the Covid pandemic meant his availability was heavily limited for the pairs over the past three years. His first major trophy winning success came in his second season with the county, playing his part in the club's NatWest Pro 40 title win. 
Red Bull's success followed immediately with promotion in 2008 and then bouncing straight back to Division 1 in 2010. Moeen was also part of the promotion winning side in 2017. Arguably, though, Moeen's finest memory in Worcester Chicolas came when, more recently, he led the Rapids to a first Vitality Blast title in 2018. I'm sad to be leaving Worcestershire after so long and have loved every minute of it, he said. I've played with some amazing people and owe a huge thanks to the club for bringing me here and giving me the platform to perform. I now feel it's time to go back to Birmingham for the end of my career. I will always love Worcestershire and I hope I made the fans proud. Brackets, this is me, you did, Moeen. Close brackets. Thank you. Head coach Alex Gidman added, it's been an absolute pleasure to work alongside Mo in a coach and captain relationship for the fast for the last four years. The Vitality Blast victory in 2018 and coming so close to retaining it in 2019 will live long in my memory as a memorable part of the early days of my coaching career. It's extremely sad to see him move on, but we will wish him all the best for the future. And that concludes our coverage of the sport. And we now move on to the thought for the week, which I shall read as I happen to have it here in front of me. It's from Mark 1, verses 9 to 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The sunrise-sunset times, which I'm sure I wrote down earlier, yes, I have them, um, is sunrise today was 0457, which means about three minutes to five to you and me, and it'll be two minutes to five tomorrow morning, and sunset today will be at half past nine. So, apart from the obituaries which will follow the music, that's all from Catherine and myself for today. We hope you've enjoyed it. So it's goodbye from Catherine. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me too. Bye. And now we continue with the obituaries. David Shabas Alden Quinney, also known as John, died recently at home. Um, Inquiries to funeral directors, Thomas Brothers, 01527 547777. The funeral will be on July the 7th. Paul Murphy died in his sleep on Wednesday the 15th of June. The funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 11th of July at 10.45am immediately followed by a wake at the Holt Fleet, Holt Heath, Worcester. All are welcome. Donations to the Alzheimer's Society would be greatly appreciated in lieu of flowers. All inquiries can be sent to Holland Funeral Service, 71 Barnards Green Road, Malvern, WR1143LS, 01684575343. Ted Watkins died on the 11th of June and the funeral service at Worcester Crematorium will be on Friday the 8th of July at 1.45pm. 
uh, inquiries to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Eugenio Ferreros Gonzalez, known as Pancho, died on the 16th of June. The funeral service has already taken place at Worcester Crematorium on the 6th of July, followed by a celebration of his life. Uh, so any inquiries or donations should be sent to AV Band. Mike Mason passed away on the 8th of June. The funeral service has taken place at Wire Forest Crematorium on Wednesday the 6th of July. Donations warmly welcome to the British Heart Foundation um, and could, they could be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son at 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Jennifer Moorby passed away on the June the 21st. The funeral has been today, the 7th of July, at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only donations to cancer research can be sent to Worcester Funeral Service, WR52NE. David Henry Barnes passed away on the 22nd of June. The funeral service will be at St Mary Magdalene Church in Alfric on Tuesday the 19th of July and that will be at 11am, followed by an internment in the churchyard. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Crohn's and Colitis UK may be sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU, and bright colours to be worn by request. Anina Krishanovsky, known as Anna, and I do apologise if I haven't pronounced that properly, passed away on the 8th of June. The Requiem Mass will take place at St George's Roman Catholic Church on Monday the 18th of July at 12 noon, followed by committal at Astwood Cemetery at 2. Charitable donations, if desired, can be made to the British Heart Foundation and all flowers are welcome. Any inquiries to AV Band Funeral Directors, telephone Worcester 22892. Dawn Jakeman, nay Easterlow, passed away on the 31st of May. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium at 2.30 on Friday the 22nd of this month. Family flowers only, please, or donations to the International Fund for Animal Welfare, um, the address for which is https colon double forward slash www.ifaw.org slash UK. Details, care of AV band, telephone Worcester, double eight seven eight six four. Sheila Jenkins passed away on the 21st of June. Her funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on the 8th of July at 10am. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, will be gratefully received for Breast Cancer UK and they can be left on the collection plate at the service or, alternatively, direct to the charity. All inquiries care of Co-op Funeral Care Worcester and that's Worcester Double Two. 137. Adela Crook passed away on the 25th of June. Her funeral will take place on Tuesday the 12th of July at 1.45 at Worcester Crematorium. 
family flowers only, donations if desired to the RNLI and St. Richard's Hospice. And these may be left at the service or sent care of E.J. Gummery and Son. And that concludes the obituaries.